Welcome to Drinking and Talking with your host, Vincent Franconi. Take it some literature. I love literary trilogies. I reread, um, you know, Samuel Beckett's one of my literary heroes. So. I love Beckett. I'm with you there. I you, love Pinter as well. Pinter's great. I love. Part of Mallrats. Oh yeah. Well, Do- oh, I thought it was Dogma. Was it? Either one. What about the Kevin Smith trilogy? Was Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy. That's hilarious to call that a trilogy. I mean, they're like they happen in the same world. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not yelling at you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do Jeff is shrinking in the corner. I mean, can we just call anything that happens in the same universe a trilogy, even if... I mean, maybe, sure. I'm, I'm actually okay with that. I'm fine with, like, just following the author's lead. Like, you know, when people are like, but is it poetry? I'm like, well, did the person who wrote it say it is? Because then I'm just fine with... And with art, too. Well, if people are like, but is it art? I'm like, yeah, well, yeah it might it be is. art, but it's is always, it good? That's another that's question. It's always art. Yeah, sure. Well, like the Beckett one is an example where I think uh, his trilogy of novels, The Malloy, Blown Dies, and Nameable, are like I reread those, and like Malloy is so fucking good, and Malone Dies is so weird that I like it, but Unnameable, I I I, re- I couldn't get through it rereading. I'm like, how did I used to love this as much as I did? Like, I think it's the weakest part. I've never so, read any of those. It's fucking hard to get through a trilogy. Is my point like yeah. I think as an artist to create one and pull it off I don't think is a tough thing but back to this question of like is it art or is it poetry I think is interesting because uh, I mean you you're, we'll get back to where we started you, you're you're not just a poet because I've seen your bio right uh, I've encountered you as a poet at the right. reading at the, the Hungry yep, Brain yep. Simone's reading as I call yep. it Kenyatta I should not exclude Kenyatta Definitely. That. Uh, I studied poetry as a grad student in my career writing focus I've only I've published poems in journals but I've mostly the only thing is I published in book form or not in poetry because uh, I don't give a fuck I'll, I'll write everything mm-hmm. but like is it poetry is one of do my favorite do you write novels that's the one thing I'm I don't write working on one now and it is really hard yeah uh, I love writing poems and I love writing essays because yeah. there's an end point in the yep. insight I'm working on a novel that I like the idea of it may never be finished because I can't figure out how to end it I, I know where it's going and I like where it started but I can't figure out how to end it so just sit on it before. it'll occur to you eventually oh it's going to be years and I'm happy, yeah. with, I'm happy with that just end it I just read well we're getting off but I want to talk speaking of trilogies for a second if you'll mind this digression I don't mind I just read and I wrote a review for and hopefully the review will be coming out soon uh, a trilogy of novels called the Nocia Trilogy by the Spanish writer uh, Agustin Fernandez Mayo is his name and he is uh, a physicist he's a scientist but he writes poetry and he has this theory called post-poetry that he published a book about which he feels like poetry has not kept up with other arts as far as incorporating technology and scientific advancements which is fascinating so he's been trying to write poems and do that and his novels that he wrote uh, which were huge in Spain and just got translated in English are incorporating their short bits of stories that will like stop and then pick up pages later and in between that there will be digressions quick little uh 
physics lessons. Uh, a quick a quote from like Tom York of Radiohead being interviewed. Like pop culture, science, everything is like blended into these novels in a way where he wrote a, this weird trilogy of it and I really liked it and I thought like it was a trilogy that worked and he's really trying to push this and a lot of people are arguing but is this a novel? I'm like fuck it who cares it is? Like I don't give a shit about those designations so much anymore like is it a poem because it's in prose? Fuck yeah it is. If it's in a book of poems it's a, it's a I read your book you have yeah. poems that are fairly traditional as far as they have line breaks yeah. and they have a logic to them as, yeah. as an individual poem yeah. Do you have some that are chunkier that could yeah. that could almost be prose poem ish, yeah, but they're totally. not like so I think you're playing with those forms a little bit. Yeah, you know, that was the book that I wrote when I was in grad school just learning how to be a poet at all. Sure. Because I had not been a poet really prior to grad school, but I just wanted to go to grad school for poetry, so I was like, I will now learn how to be a poet, but it, I had not majored in English or writing or anything in undergrad. So I was really, like, kind of behind a lot of my cohort, like, a lot of, even, you know, I went to grad school when I was, like, 24, and I turned 25, like, a month later, but some of the people in my cohort were, like, 22, they were coming straight out of college, and they knew way more than me, like, they would be, like, talking about the difference between lyric poetry and narrative poetry, and I just had no idea what they were talking about, but I was not too proud to ask. I felt very lucky to have gotten into a program that I really wanted to get into and I was so happy to like not be working at a deli on the side of a highway in East Tennessee anymore so I mean I was pretty blissed out you know (laughs) and I was not shy about just saying like I don't know what you mean I don't know what those words mean so I would ask a lot of questions and I think I like learned pretty fast learned a lot of things But that first book is me just like, oh, I have just learned of the existence of a prose poem. And now I will write it. And I'll try it. Or I will just learn. I have just read an essay about the Duende. And now I will write about it. Or I have just discovered the work of Christopher Smart or Mary Rufel or Catullus. And now I will write. You you got some Catullus uh, stuff in there. So the second book is very, very different. Just is that to, out? Do I, do, no, it's okay, not out. I've, I've been sending it out fairly selectively, but, you know, it always takes like a year for people to get back to you. So it before I knew it, all of a sudden I'd been sending my book out for like four years because I would send it out to three or four presses and then wait a year. And so I'm getting pretty impatient about it. It's uh, not a fun process. No, it's not fun, and it really kind of, like, even if you send to, like, four different presses, you've spent $100 at yeah. least. So, it's costly. I can't imagine yeah. what writers did before submittable, where you could just submit online, because right. the amount of postage that you would spend, the amount of money you would oh, spend on yeah. paper or printing, when everything I, was through the mail. Oh, Christ. When I won the NPS, the National Poetry Series, when I found out that I was a finalist, so this was back in maybe 2011 I had to print out like 11 or 12 copies of my whole book and send them to the different judges like it was still very rudimentary even in 2011 or whatever yeah I I remember I just moved to Chicago and I just had to kind of like google like where is there a print shop 
so I can just print out 12 fucking copies of this $70 book. But, you know, I was buoyed, of course, by just the excitement of, like, I'm a finalist. So. Oh, yeah. But, um, it's yeah. Like being, it's, it's like I have friends who, I, most of my friends are musicians, uh, more than writers these days. And, uh, like, they all have the same sort of, like, you know, we will drive 200 miles to make 50 bucks and oh, play. Yeah. Like, we'll do that, like, you know, especially when they're still in their 20s or 30s. Yeah. And they kind of slow down. But it's, like, yeah. that's not all that different than being a writer at a certain point where, like, I will print out 12 copies of my manuscript and mail it around and spend all the money to do that for the chance of possibly being When I first moved to Chicago, or after I'd been here for about a year, I did join a band for the first time in my life, and we were together maybe for a couple years. And what did you do in this band? I sang. Okay. I do not know how to play any instrument, but I have a great ear, and I have a voice that works well, because I was in church choir and theater and everything. can definitely carry a tune. I can project, and I can hear harmonies really well, so that was kind of what I did in the band, was just harmonize with everybody all the time. So, here's one thing I noticed about the difference between being in a band and being a poet, is that in a band, you're fucking with people, you're not just (laughs) fucking alone in your goddamn studio apartment, like, feeling your feelings, and then writing about it, like, it was the first time since I'd been in theater, like, in high school where I'm like oh my god we're collaborating we're talking we're making decisions together we are there's a magic between all of our personalities and we're coming into some kind of stage presence and we are getting excited and we're supporting each other all these things that are just the opposite of being a poet where it's like I'm alone yeah I'm still alone I'm writing now I'm alone with my computer. Here I go, writing another thing alone. And so, also I feel like the act of singing, it's very physical and it's very intimate. There's all this air inside your body. Your body's being penetrated. Your body's being fucked by air all the time. I'm not even stoned right now. Okay, so like there's air inside your body and then you make a decision about how you want it to come out and then you like blast it out into the world. It's an emission. It was inside you, now it's out, like sticking to the faces of everybody who's come to see you. It's very intimate and it's sexy and it's fun and it's a gift, you know, that you can share with people. And I, the joy that I feel being in the presence of music, I almost never feel at a poetry reading. I almost always wish I wasn't at a poetry reading. Let's talk about that for a sec because this is how we met. And, Mm -hmm. like, I... I have a love-hate relationship with the uh, readings, uh-huh. um, where I I feel like writers that I admire, uh, who I might be acquainted with, I'll go to see them read, and I'm just like, oh, okay, that wasn't awesome because like you're bad, at, you're good, but like like there's a performative aspect to it that I think you need to be aware of when you're up there. So like when I read, I never read one piece for 10 minutes because it's fucking dull and who's going to keep up with it? Yeah. I, I don't like being read too yeah. for that long. 
So I always try to like, I'm going to read like three short things. And if you don't love the first one, maybe you'll recharge in the second and you yeah. get it. So that's always like my take on yeah. it. And I like to mix it that's up. Good. So like, I'll read like a prose thing and I'll read a poem and then yeah. like, that's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like the night that we were at the, the, the salon at the, the Hungry Brain, I thought it was good because like, mm-hmm. uh, like Micah who started it read and she read, she did not use her full time by the way. Mm-hmm. She read and got off the stage. I'm like, wow, you have five more minutes. Uh, which was good in a way because it's I like... I think it's always better to go under than over. Sure. Buffers. I tried to mix up my stuff. Um, and Simone Mensch, who runs the thing partially, uh, read this amazing intro for me which was way generous because she knows me and I'm like how do you fucking live up to that but I tried to like mix it up so I'm not just reading one long thing and then you came on and you were very compelling because like your 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 between poem things that you announce or talk about were not the usual I'm going to explain this poem to you for five fucking minutes and it's going to be better than the poem that I read right which I hate I hate that too so like a lot of what you said like I thought there was a it was a pretty good reading overall because I thought it yeah, was very it entertaining from start yeah. to finish but I've been to readings where it's just like I know you're a good writer, but this is death, man. This is just terrible. Totally. Well, I think that's actually the thing is that a lot of, like, very intelligent people, which I do think that a lot of poets are very intelligent, but that doesn't mean you're fun to be around. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're fun to listen to. Like, I think that sometimes, especially when you have just, like, been in academia your whole life, I think that sometimes, like, being entertaining, quote-unquote, can be, like... Like, people think that that's kind of, um, uh, like, that's an unflattering term. That's an unflattering assessment. Um, you know, if you're entertaining, then maybe you're cheap. Yeah. Okay. Or if you're entertaining, maybe you're an attention hog. Or if you're entertaining, maybe you're, like, a vain narcissist. And, you know, really what you should do is just let the work speak for itself. So you should read it in monotone and just, like, give some sort of scholarly notes in between. I mean, I think that's the thing is that people who are writers, good writers, are there's... Like, why would we think it would be a given that they would also be good entertainers? Those things are opposite. Yeah, very. Like, you know, right? I I am very introverted. In that, I need very much time by myself. I need very much time to recover from talkative, lots of people around situations. But I'm very good at actually talking and entertaining um, well, I mean, I sh- I'm not always very good, but it's definitely something I can do, and it's definitely something that I can enjoy quite a lot. Well, you did that night, for sure. I certainly like, I did. did. Yeah. I was having a great time you that see, night, and the well, couple the of thing, the drinks were very strong, and that yeah. did not <laughs> hurt. is a good bar uh, for that. Quite a pour. Yeah, they do not do a gentle hand when they're pouring yeah. whiskeys out there, which was the thing that night I was drinking whiskey because I didn't want to be so full from drinking all these beers. Oh. Oh, right, right, right. Because you get up there and you're like, I'm uncomfortable. Slashy. So I, of course, I had many a tall whiskey. No, I liked that reading because, I mean, you know, and I like a lot of the readings that I go to at the Poetry Foundation because sometimes yeah. there will be people who just are, um, you know, maybe they come from a tradition of slam or maybe they're going to, like, sing in the middle of their sure. reading or... I mean, um, I definitely have been to readings that make me feel a little bit intoxicated. But I think that when people are just so, like, wrapped up in their own, like, self-effacing 
blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's really dreadful to watch. And this is something you can see in stand-up comedy as well. Like, when I first moved to the city, I went to a lot of comedy open mics because I was, I had no money, but I wanted to, like, be out and about seeing things and getting to know the city. And I'm very obsessed with comedy. Um, and listen to a lot of comedy podcasts, so I'm, like, very interested, or I was very interested in, like, the mind that writes a joke and how similar a joke writing mechanism can be to a poetry writing mechanism and so on. Timing, brevity, exact choice of like, is it funnier to use a, um, well, okay, so I wrote this poem, you would have read it in the book. Uh, it's in the beginning of the book and in the at the end of the poem it's trying to describe a feeling of intense happiness and so I the lines I say are like um, you know the light from the dresser lit your face up like an apple orchard on the day that a farmer's favorite horse rose from the dead so when I was writing that poem I spent a lot of time thinking about like is it better to say a farmer like just some random farmer that I haven't mentioned at all yet but he has a horse and the horse rose from the dead or is it better to say the farmer which we definitely haven't talked about the farmer but is it kind of funny and like a weird brain spasm for me to say the farmer and make you for a minute think that you're supposed to know the farmer and then realize you haven't so it's just fun to jerk you around that way so I spent a lot of time deciding between the definite or the indefinite um, what is that called article yeah and I think that comedy works that way too where it's like is it funnier to have a or the so I went to a lot of comedy open mics and a lot of the comedians most of their act was just like about how uncomfortable they were and how awkward it was to be doing stand up comedy and like I realized this is wretched don't do this and I got up like the first open mic I went to I actually just like signed up and then wrote jokes while I was watching everybody else's jokes and also I was like transcribing from some of the jokes I'd already made on Twitter but then I was like writing down things that other comics were saying and sort of weaving it in and I did not you know I think the allotted time was maybe like four minutes I did not have four minutes I don't even know if I barely made it to two minutes but just the fact that I delivered with confidence I had memorized everything I'd been writing down for the last two hours and I just was like hello, hi, time to have a human moment, here we are. And everybody was like, drool, because I wasn't making them worry about me. Yeah. I wasn't making them concerned. That's a that's a thing that's really big, is that when you're a performer, it's really important that your audience oh, yeah. not be nervous no, for no, you. No, they will feel that. Yeah. And it can... There's a mild okay? amount of that you can get away with. Um, I'm... So, like, when we read, I read this poem that I know... Like, I, I introduced it. This could be a trend. Let's have fun. Let's see where this goes. Because it's a poem Was it the one about Amazon? Or was that... No, that no, was no, no. That one, okay. was, that one I was fairly happy with. Okay. <laughs> now, I read this one that I wrote in Simone's class when I was a grad student, and I was her student, to sort of put her on the spot for a second about, like, this is what she would have us do in class, and this is what came of it. And it's, like, kind of a silly poem that I haven't really thought much about, but I'm like, oh, let's resurrect it. I'm like, I haven't read this in 10 years. This could be a 
train wreck. Uh-huh. Like, that's a fun thing, but like in the moment, that is fun. But it, I, there was a moment where I was like, maybe I shouldn't say that because now I'm sort of giving the audience tension where there didn't need to be, where I could just be up there confidently reading my stuff. But I think there's a little, you can get away with a little bit of being vulnerable in that way. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm supposed to read in August at a uh, Northwestern Summer Conference, and I'm really excited about it, but like, I've read the same shit uh, a lot lately. Thank you, Jeffrey. And I'm like, there's a chapter from my book that I could read that I haven't read yet that I think like people who read it say, oh, I really like this chapter, but it doesn't seem like it's the thing I read aloud. And I'm debating on doing it, but like, I know it could be a train wreck and it could be absolutely like, I can't go into it announcing the fact that this could be a train wreck. Like, I have to sell it a little bit. Yeah. Because I think, like, there are things that I've written that I'm more proud of that I wouldn't read in front of people because I just don't think it translates as well to an audience as it does to, like, you're experiencing on page. Right. And that's something I see a lot of people like, well, I'm reading this thing. i got to bring my best work. Well, sometimes your best work is not the work to read aloud, frankly. It's, like, it's not something that people are going to... It's probably amazing, but when you hear it without looking at it at the same time and experiencing it in your own pace you just may not really be invested in it. You may yeah. not pick up on, what, on the nuances that are so amazing that you spent all this time crafting. Right. But, like, what I need is, like, um, something that's showy or going to get a funny. laugh. right. Like, I do the, the funnier yeah. stuff live because people like laughs. Like, yeah. And, again, it's, it's back to this thing. So you teach, too, right? So I think that I always will at heart be an educator. I love teaching people about anything and everything. But I haven't taught in a university setting since probably like 2013 or something. Part of me wants to say good for you. Oh, no. I say good for me, too, because adjuncting is 100% exploitative. And I like refuse to lend all of this. I'm using my hands to refer to my awesome self. I'm not going to like give all of this to some like school that like doesn't value me no it's the worst I did it for yeah. years it's horrible yeah I did it for I don't know a year and a half and I was like wow this is really terrible and ultimately why I probably would have kept slogging through it frankly just because it was my dream to be a professor and I because my college professors were the first adults that I ever respected in any way it sure wasn't my parents and it sure wasn't my Sunday school teachers you know um, actually I will say that I did very much respect my the high school teachers I I told you I was homeschooled but for the years of high school, I would one day a week go to a church basement and be taught by very good educators who were, they had been, you know, public school teachers, private school teachers, or even college professors. Like my French professor, or my French teacher was a French professor at a nearby university, and she would just contribute, you know, to this little homeschool cooperative is what it was called. But so I did respect my teachers. Um, Anyway, so I wanted to be one, you know, and uh, so I probably would have kept adjuncting if not for the fact that the last job I had was teaching at the University of Wisconsin Parkside and it was a very tiny um, department where we all just immediately became, you become friends on Facebook with the head of the department, his best friend, 
who's also his ex-wife, then the administrative <laughs> assistant, then like one other adjunct, and that's kind of it, yeah. you know? But I, one, I was trying to figure out how I could get more classes, because you know one thing about adjuncting is they'll oh, yeah. give you two classes, and of course that's not enough. Maybe you make $5,000 from those two classes. So you have to find, lucky. right, so you have to find one or two more schools, yeah. plus maybe a tutoring job, plus art modeling, this is what I did, to support yourself. So I was asking one of my fellow professors can I teach in other departments could I teach a business writing class what could I do and like I said she was like the best friend of the head of the department also his ex-wife she starts telling everyone that I'm gonna try and steal her classes and I'm a prima donna and next thing I know everyone's unfriended me on Facebook and I'm just done I'm out like she said Hannah's a prima donna and she's trying to steal my classes the end and I was like okay then I guess I'm just not a there's teacher a lot of anymore that. no there's a lot of that in academia unfortunately yeah. there's a lot of why didn't I get that class um, which I don't ever feel because I don't give a shit I'm happy I teach comp I teach freshman composition yeah. and I'm and a lot of the people in my in my shoes who study creative writing and uh, you know publish they're like well I'm, I'm in this to teach creative writing or a lot of the or the PhDs who study literature are like well I did not go to get my PhD and learn old English so I could fucking teach <laughs> right, comp right. and I'm like I'll teach comp I don't give a shit and occasionally I'll pick up you can up make it kind of cool oh I love comp I, I think there's a lot of freedom in it yeah. that you don't get in other disciplines I've enjoyed it as well it's not bad but there's a lot of like moments where I've taught classes that I'm I weirdly feel like I'm not qualified for my first semester as a full-time instructor, which was 2014. I adjuncted from 2009, 2009 till then. My first full-time semester, somebody dropped out because they, I don't know, got sick. And I got this email like, could you take on a fifth class teaching Shakespeare? Wow. And I thought, well, I've read Shakespeare. I'm not a Shakespearean, but fuck it. I'm not going to say no on my first semester right. so I took it on I got it you know which was great and I'm like I'll speed read eight plays over the summer which I did and you know relied heavily on notes from a colleague uh, but when I did it I was sort of like I can do I started doing it a lot of for people I started taking my class but whenever I did I always felt like this not like resentment from other people but this idea of more like you belong at cop right, right and that's your right, wheelhouse and stick right. to it yeah. and it's never overtly said and, I, and, and part of it might be me perceiving that but no, there's sure a lot true. of I'm sure it's true yeah, but you know, Roosevelt's a whole other story, as Jeff knows, because uh, Jeff's wife uh, is a good friend of mine who is uh, who I was a student with when I, we were both students at Roosevelt. And is now technically my boss, oh. which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, right. So I feel like you're privy to more of what's going on right now behind the scenes than I am. I just work there. But there's but academia is weird. There's a lot of competitiveness. There's a lot of weird shit. But I brought it up because like I realized at a certain point that my absolute love and obsession with comedy. Uh, Stand up and sketch um, has, I think, informed the way I teach because oh, yeah. I would watch like stand up that I thought was really good to find that timing. Yeah, uh, and I'm curious what comedy podcasts you listen to. Well, we may listen to some of the same. I don't know. 
Well, okay, so back in the day when I was finishing, well, I had a teaching fellowship at Rice University in Houston, um, and that was what I was doing right before I moved to Chicago. So, and I would say 2010, I was listening, of course, to uh, Mark Maron's podcast, What the Fuck? I was listening to Pete Holmes' podcast, You Made It Weird. I was listening to Duncan Trussell's Family Hour. Nice. I was listening to uh, How's Your Week with Julie Klausner. Um, I, oh, I was listening to Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. It's a lesser known one with Michael Ian Black and Tom Cavanaugh. I love Michael They're Ian Black. They're very funny. It was the a very is one funny of my show. Formative, uh, formative uh, comedy experiences and watching you know, the state. It's just good to observe a friendship. And that's a lot of what that show is. is like friends who are really good together. That's pretty awesome. I don't listen to any of those shows anymore. These days, I mostly listen to true crime podcasts. I listened to My Favorite Murder with Karen Kilgariff, who was a stand-up comedian in the 90s, and Georgia Hardstark, who I think had a show on the Food Network or something, but they're both very funny women. And I have to say, a lot of other true crime podcasts where they're like just two straight dudes, there's a lot of what I would call gentle comedy, where it's just kind of like... You know, they're just kind of like, hey, does your sister have a crush on me? Haha, <laughs> shut up, dude. Uh, and that's just up. kind of, I mean, you know, there's this one, this one I've been listening to lately called Crawl Space. They have really interesting stories. Both of the guys are like interested in the Church of Satan, which I like respect. They just aren't funny. And I think that there are lots of men who just don't know they're funny because women are so good at accommodating lackluster performances. Of course. So Isn't there'll the be thing that women are trained to do is like laugh at anything you say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, but also, you know, women like many people, I think men are this way too. No one likes to feel uncomfortable. So if a man thinks it's his job to impress a woman which many people do. It's like what you're socialized to think is that you're supposed to like impress us with how strong you are, how funny you are, how smart you are. And then women are like, well, I don't want this to be awkward. So I'll validate you quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, literally I, you know, I, I date, I date people of all kinds. I've dated more men than I've dated women. Um, and in two of my relationships, it was a big deal that I just didn't think these guys were very funny. And I never was like mocking them. I never was like, ha ha, you're a stupid shit. You know, I, I wasn't ever trying to like be mean, but I just wouldn't offer that sort of courtesy laugh and I would watch men crumble. I literally had one man sort of shriek to me like, I'm sorry I'm not funny enough for you. And I was just like, oh my God. You have got fragile. You have gotten to the core of of, of who we are. I know. Men (laughs) really feel this uh, constant need to perform in a way that's sort of pathetic. So the funny thing has always fascinated me. There's a guy that I've known, many, many men I've known in my life, um, 
who are not that funny. But what they do is they throw jokes out that are right. rooted in their observation of what they think is funny based on bad 90s comedies. Now, I... Everyone's, like, really attached to Seinfeld. Still, uh, still people are attached to Seinfeld. I like Seinfeld. So, yeah. but, I mean, it was, it, it was important. There are good things about it. But, still, like, comedy has moved on. Well, it has, yeah. But, like, the, what, the 90s comedy that I, I always thought was, like, the epitome of mediocre and over-celebrated as friends. Oh, God, yes. It's so fucking... C plus comedy Absolutely. at best, except for Lisa Kudrow. Well, she's, she's a amazing. Plus, 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 I love plus, it. Yeah, plus. if anyone on that show is funny, it's her. Yeah, and if anybody on that show is sexy, it's Jim Branston. But like Lisa Kudrow is the funniest thing on that. Show. Like yeah, and beyond that show, like yeah. as a person, she's but like like the best example is I don't remember the name, but Matthew Perry, the guy mm. played Chandler. Chandler, mm-hmm. he was sort of the guy who was always making really obvious jokes yeah. in my opinion and so many people I know like emulated that where it's just like what can yes. I say that's not that funny totally. it's exactly safe. a safe obvious joke and I used to work for this guy but it's who, like mildly disapproving that's an important part of the comedy yeah, it's a little judgment yeah and uh, so when I worked for the first law firm I ever worked for which was kind of a horribly inappropriate place but you know whatever I was fine there uh, it's where I met my wife actually um but like when I worked there, the bosses every Christmas would have a Christmas. We would have this big Christmas party, and you were encouraged to like give it back to the to the lawyers and make fun of them. And uh, my friend and I decided to make a, a short film on video about and just mocking all the lawyers because we could get away with it. And uh, I referred to my my direct supervisor and boss as the master of the obvious joke because every day at lunch he would sit in the lunchroom with us and like he would just roll with these Chandler from Friends like stupid fucking jokes and he would just look around like with this grin and we were all like ha 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 I guess that's funny and, but it wasn't it was fucking stupid but like too many men have gotten that so I think like yeah. you cut to the core of us like if we are not we think like Chandler is what we aspire to be like funny it's not fucking funny no and why are we celebrating this lazy ass humor where yeah. there's much funnier shit I mean like the podcasts I listen to now that are humorous are improv based only because I'm not from that world and I'm sort of awed by it it's like Comedy Bang Bang is sort of like an improv Uh one uh and uh, the Teacher's Lounge is another one that's very improv based and like I listen to these and I'm like these guys and there's also women on there are really fast and sharp And I think I admire that company. Mm-hmm. It's like they're not always going for the obvious joke. Mm-hmm. And like when I hear like something organically happening in their chat, I'm like, this is the joke I would make. And then they make a better one. I'm like, bring your A game. Like this is, they, they did better than what probably, they exhausted somehow in a second the obvious stupid Chandler joke. Yeah. And found something fucking funny. Right. I think that what happens is any intelligent person is gonna, that obvious joke is gonna occur. And it's, if you're blessed, it'll occur quickly and you push it, you aside, push it aside and you say, what else? Yeah. And then you see what else. I would really recommend to you the best improv I've ever seen in Chicago was, I believe, at IO, the Improv Olympic. And it was those guys from the Sonic commercials. It's like yeah, Dave yeah, and those, Tim yeah, yeah. or whatever. I loved they just have a two-man show. And I loved it because they actually weren't pushing for a joke with every line they weren't pushing for silliness like if one of them became like um you know like a a dieting stepmom i'm a stepmom on a diet 
Um, they, the joke wasn't like, haha, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged man, but now I'm pretending to be a woman who cares about her appearance. Ha ha ha. Like that was never it. They played each character with, uh, with sort of just humanity and dignity and they were invested and they were vulnerable and they weren't going for the first joke that was available to them and I, I it was so masterful and so great whereas when you see a lot of younger improv performers they're just like here's the oh yeah you know and uh, yeah so I, I and I think two of the show Broad City did Broad you ever watch that? Yeah. yeah I love Broad City I loved the way that um, uh, those two women talked about uh, the episode where Abby wears a dildo to Peg, the guy next door, and they were like, we wanted to make it really clear the joke was not that she was wearing a dildo or like, oh, haha, this guy likes it in the butt. It, that was just fun. That was like just what he was into and she was interested in exploring that with him and then the joke is that she puts it in the dishwasher and he's actually had this dildo made especially like for his butthole and so you know that's a whole other thing she tries to replace it but it's not good enough right and i i love i love that approach to comedy where it's not like oh there's a guy in a dress i mean i'm always analyzing like what would be at the root of this joke and does that actually indicate a system yeah. of values that I want to support and back to friends friends is very like transphobic oh, and friends is very gay phobic and friends is very like uh, I'm sure you know probably slut shaming I don't I remember the gay phobic and transphobic things more but I watched enough to, to, to I kind of had a little period where I loved getting stoned and then just watching friends like this was literally last year just to get mad at it or just to, no just because God. when I'm stoned I am fascinated with bad things okay I can see that I do and that it's like picking a scab for me <laughs> maybe that's it I, I remember that when I was in middle school or high school whenever friends was actually out my my uh sort of like church friends who were very incompatible with me ultimately but they told me that i reminded them of phoebe so i was like i need to watch this show and then when i watched the show i thought oh they are telling me that they just think i'm like dingy and i'm wearing hippie clothes and i took it as some kind of insult but now I was definitely quirky, and I did wear a lot of hippie jewelry. But all, but then when I rewatched the show, I loved Phoebe so much, and I was like, oh my god, she's essentially non-monogamous. She's extremely non-judgmental of anyone's lifestyle. She's like very much into trying to promote acceptance of you know she's the most like alternative lifestyle, she's the oddest person and she just kind of talks about it like it's no big deal. And she also seems to have had a very weird life that she just sort of like will reference very casually but it's a little bit mind-blowing for all the normies in her presence and so I was like oh my god my friends were so right about me like they could not have been any more right about me that's probably what's most interesting as her as a character the ultimate contrast to her is the Chandler character who is probably the most established normal he has a good safe job he makes money he's fucking boring in every possible capacity and he's like her polar opposite. She's sort of 
the anti Chandler in my mind. So like, if you're gonna like take characters from that show, I mean, like, there's some there's some weird thing with uh, Rachel's character where she's like quasi employed half the time. Yeah. And like, you know, the same thing with Joey. He's an actor, but he's like kind of fucking living a pipe dream. It's true. But it's like well, he's so established and so safe. And I think yeah. so many people that I know, men if they were going to emulate any character from the show, they would emulate Matthew yeah. Perry's character as being like, I have this corporate job and I'm making really boring, safe jokes. And that's my, and, and yet I'm And because you're judgy, you appear, like I think a lot of guys think Chandler's the smartest guy in the room because he's critical. Right. But he's an asshole. And he's assessing, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a little kind of bit an of an asshole. asshole. He's like, but he does appear to be smart and he is kind of summing up everyone and ridiculing them. So, you know, he's not as lost as Ross, for instance. Right. Like, Ross has a regular job. He's kind of boring. But he's, like, a fucking sad sap mopadope. You know? Really so, is. like, I think you're right that Chandler is the most opposite to Phoebe because Phoebe is actually very... She hasn't, like, given up the will to live. Right. And he very much has. He's sold out. <laughs> yeah, well, he's just, like... And he's so uncomfortable with his body, with uh, intimacy. He's uncomfortable with a lot of things, and Phoebe is just kind of there for it and is there to, in a way, kind of guide people because she's just super chill, and she's like, well, okay. You know, like, there's a storyline where her, you know, much young... Well, I think her brother is quite a bit younger than her, and then oh, he Giovanni falls Rabisi, in love... Giovanni, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then he falls in love with his teacher, who's, like, in her 50s. And, you know, that was an interesting episode because Phoebe's not thrilled with it, but eventually she comes around because she sees that they're actually just happy. So Phoebe is the ultimate, like, doesn't yuck other people's yum, whereas Chandler oh, is all that's, about that's yucking old, everyone's old, yum. Yeah. And I think that, like, it really, actually, really exemplifies, like, unfortunately, sort of a toxically masculine way of feeling secure and comfortable is, like, make sure you're always shitting on someone or making a joke it's, of someone. Definitely, I think I've seen in a lot of my friends' relationships uh, that I don't get. Um, and if I ever see myself doing this, I try to pull back on it because it's really horrible. Uh, is the constant making fun yeah. of people you love? Yeah. Uh, which, like, you talked about, like, putting somebody on a pedestal is one extreme. The opposite of that is the shitting on them, uh, which I feel like is the Chandler approach. The roast. The roast. Yeah, the constant lets me the roast yeah. master. There's something about that I've always thought was really, like, unfortunate. Yeah. And, like, it's it's a thing that, that I don't think just men do. I know a lot of women do. Oh, too. yeah, definitely. But it's a very sort of, like, horrible thing to do is, like, rather than be vulnerable or admit for a second uh, anything sincere, I will mask everything in, like, 50 layers of irony and humor yeah. to the point of, frankly, detriment, I think. But, I mean, too. there's a little bit of that that you can get away with, and it's playful, but, like, that yeah. line is so easy to cross. I think so, too. My first boyfriend was actually uh, a Sicilian Irish Catholic. And after my own yep. lineage and heart. Yep. And he <laughs> constantly... He was always teasing me about, like, being gay, because I... I mean, I was I was socialized as a straight person, and I just kind of 
I didn't think of myself as a queer person. That wasn't really verbiage that existed in the '90s anyway. I didn't. I didn't even really think of myself as bi. I, because I, I did like men. So if you check that box, then you, I just stopped asking any questions of like, never mind that I've been having sexually explicit dreams about women since I was 12. You know, that's just a thing um, that we don't need to think about. Um, but I guess with my college boyfriend, I did kind of let him in on the fact that I, you know, experienced attraction to women and so on. And he teased me about being gay a lot. And I mean, he was the first person I ever slept with or was in love with. I, I wasn't allowed to date when I was a homeschooled uh, child. So, I mean, you know, I just, I remember thinking the thing that's really unfortunate about all this teasing is that it actually is passive aggressive. It is coming from discomfort on his part. He's not, there's nothing that he's not encouraging me he's not celebrating me he's teasing me in a way that he insists is harmless and so he's um denying my right to feel hurt ever but it is coming from a place of him wondering are you gonna leave me for some girl yeah you know oh no no, shoot that's that's exactly right yeah so it's such an uncomfortable totally it's a really uncomfortable place to live because if I ever was like hey I don't I don't think that's really funny you know then I I mean it's like I would just be chided for like why why are you so serious why don't you have a sense of humor but it's just like I can tell what's underneath this no that's the ultimate uh get a sense of humor is the ultimate like get out of jail card for anyone who's doing that is suddenly who's busted for saying for crossing a line which people cross lines you should just be like yeah okay sorry that was fucked up yeah which is probably a thing that everybody has could say and then be like all right let's then we'll move on but like instead of saying that it's like well get a sense of humor it's a fucking joke can't you take a joke that's on you yeah yeah you can shift the burden onto somebody it's right i mean we're we're not that hard to figure out man I mean, I, I, at the, oh, the risk I of sounding kiss-assy to all women, uh, we're, we're pretty simple. I mean, we are basically, there's like five moves we have. I mean, that's yeah. about it. You're giving us a lot of credit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, three moves we have. And, On a good day. And a good day. That's really about it. I mean, like, it's, 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 it's amazing to me that we have maintained the patriarchy and the control for so many years when we have so few It's because few moves. you can beat us. It's because it really you can that? literally, you're physically stronger <laughs> than some of us and I... there's a lot of uh, rape in the world. Like, there, there are just ways that women will forever be physically intimidated by men. or And I should say women and non-binary people and... Um, you know, um, yeah, I think it actually is just about physical intimidation because I knew that I was smarter than my college boyfriend. Like, you know, it didn't take me, and he was smart, but, and I don't, I'm not trying to say all women are smarter than men or blah, 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 but like, you know, women just by virtue of being the oppressed uh, gender, if we're just gonna like be reductive and say there's two. Yeah, sure. Um, let's just be less reductive and say the cis male white gender is is the winner so far. You know, so far. and so everybody else is a little bit of a loser so far. 
And I think a lot of us in the losing team, like, we've known we're smart and we've had to get real scrappy and resourceful and crafty. Um, so I think a lot of us have a lot of confidence in our ability to understand, even just by virtue of being, I, you know, an abused child, like, which I think I was, like, emotionally. And my parents also were just very fine with, like, you know, taking a piece of wood to our bare asses, like, on a regular basis. Or my mom that was. Qualifies. Yeah, yeah, I think that qualifies. And I'll say mostly it was my mom. I don't think my mom or my dad really ever wanted to beat us, but I think our mom was really into it. So we're talking a little bit. Um, I'm trying to remember. Well, I know I was saying something about, like, being when you basically are abused as a child that you get very, like, super sensitive to, like, picking up on when things are about to get scary. Yes. Or when you're about to make the person mad. Or, like, are they mad? Are they going to, like, do something to me? Yeah. I never was good at diffusing. I don't like pandering and apparently that was in me even as a child where I was like no but I think this is wrong and I'm gonna fight for justice like I was very like um what's that word that starts with a p I was very principled and so if I thought that my parents were doing something that was wrong or was unfair like I didn't try to placate I didn't try to diffuse I literally just tried to argue with them using pretty sound logic and reason. <laughs> I mean, not that I was so impressive, but like, if your parent, uh, if your parents are total disasters, it's not difficult to like, uncover logistic flaws, even if you're yeah. just 10. So... Well, I mean, like, my, it wasn't me, but like, um, my, my dad's youngest sister, my dad's the oldest of four, his youngest sister is, I want to say, eight years older than I am. So, I mean, she... And when, there was a period where I was spending a lot of time with my grandparents. Uh, so she was like a big sister to me. Mm -hmm. And I would see the arguments she would get into with her mom, my grandmother. Who, you know, and I very much love my grandmother. Your grandkid, they spoil the shit out of you. But like, as a child of that woman, it was probably hard. Because like, my, like you know, my dad could tell those stories about like when she, you know, smacked him with a fucking wooden brush in the head. Oh, yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. you know, all the, his sisters have stories. But like, I remember like one of my aunts was like, well, we all approached it differently. Like, I approached it through straight, violent yelling and arguing. Yeah. Which was, was a bad weird. approach. Yep. She's like, and you know, your youngest, my youngest sister approach it through logic like well I will spell out this logical argument so that my, parent, my mother will see how wrong she is like right. none of it works none of it works no, but at the same time like every child develops this mechanism yeah. of like I will fucking fight you yeah, right. or I will try to debate you or I will just placate you. And that was sort of the three, I think, experiences I can see in a lot of, like, my dad's siblings. It's like anger, placation, debate. I was doing anger plus debate all the time. And then my sister, who's just two years younger than me, she would just kind of employ deception, which I actually well, never did. probably smartest move, really. Yeah, absolutely. The ultimate, yeah, what's the goal? Right? Yeah, I think it was totally the smartest, but I was too, like, quote-unquote principled <laughs> um, to do that. And so I just thought, like, right will win. Yeah, Logic oh, will win. Sense will win. <laughs> no, it won't. So you're very so prepared for our current political moment, where, like, logic and sense argument don't win. 
I, I'm prepared in that I just experience a lot of body aches and, like, need to lie down a lot because I'm so fucking anxious. I mean, um, we're, we're, we're circling back, and I know we don't want to talk too much about the, this guy, but, like, what's amazing to me this morning, like, I can't stop thinking about today, is how Trump has found his, his 2020 catchphrase, which is sent her back. Oh, my like, God. It used to be lock her up. Yeah. And you can't really, like, he's milked all but Hillary, I mean, come on, you can't really use that shit anymore. Yeah. Sent her back is, like, his new rallying call. Yeah. And it's, I know, it's so fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. It's, I can't fucking believe it, but it's like, I hate to give him any credit, but the guy's a genius at finding really stupid, really appealing catchphrases, and they're usually three syllables. Yeah. Totally. I, I was thinking about, like, how, and this is, we could tie this to poetry, like the three-syllable beat, like the sound, the rhetorical yeah. structure of something is so compelling. Well, and Obama had "Yes, we can." Yes, we can. Also, I mean that works. Equally. I keep thinking of this. Like I was thinking of it today when I saw like Senator Beck. I'm like, it's so good. Like I don't want to give it to him, but it's so good. Like the Ezra Pound poem about the the metro, where it's two lines long, and it's like you know the people come out of the metro, and like the last line is "Pedals on a wet black boat." Yeah. Like as a line of poetry, wet black bow to end is really yeah. strong. It's like three fucking beats. Like that's a good thing to do. It sticks in the reader's head. Yeah. You memorize it easily. It's it's it's, it's got a rhetorical purpose like Trump figure that shit out lock her up send her back oh fuck man that guy's a genius in a weird way and it's a pissing me off because I don't want to even give him that credit but I just did I don't know if it's like I mean well who cares what genius means anyway but oh, yeah. one thing like that Trump knows is that like America is a very misogynist place and that people are always going to be more excited to shit on a female candidate or a female congresswoman or senator. Yeah. And then if the women are brown on top of that, like all the quote unquote better. So I think that, yeah, his genius is just like, I like believing that there are people that are as, you know, shitty as he is and just, you know, going well, he's right. Him. Yeah, yeah. I'm amazed, like the word that if I could delete any word from our political lexicon, it would be electability because oh, yeah. I'm really mad that uh, I really like Elizabeth Warren yeah. and would totally throw my support behind her because I'm like, I think she's smart I think she's qualified and I think she could, you know be a really good person in my traditional view of what a politician should be uh, but everyone's like, yeah, but she has this electability problem, and there more you know what it really is a likability problem. So like, which sucks. So stupid. I like her. I like her a lot. But, but if like, people are like, oh, she's not funny, or she's not I sexy, have, or I wouldn't want to have a beer with her. It's like you're not supposed to have a beer with her. She's fucking that's not the your president. Favorite. She's not going to no. talk to you. Yeah, there are going to be like forty Secret Service people yeah. in between you. Like, don't. She's got shit to do. Don't not vote based on, or don't not vote for her based on, like, your imaginary scenario about how fun she would be to, like, you know, get a little tipsy I, with. I mean, like, everyone's like, because I put something on Facebook about how much I like Elizabeth Warren. It's like, yeah, but she does have that whole, like, Fuck that. like thing she did that didn't quite play. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with her qualifications, her intelligence, or her policies, which are very concrete as opposed to other people who are just like, we will end this we will do this. 
And I'm like, I think it's this electability thing, and Trump weirdly has this, like, Bush He's not electable. He's, people think he's liked, likable and good with money, but guess who no, wouldn't have a drink with Trump? Most women who don't want to get raped? Yeah, of course. I mean, like, <laughs> don't have a drink with rapists. I, I will be zero percent surprised if Trump fucked a 13-year-old with Jeffrey, what's his name, Epstein? Uh, Epstein, yeah. Like, there have been allegations. Come on. Well, Trump's sure. probably a pedophile. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that Republicans were so obsessed with uh, the pedophilia thing when it came to a conspiracy theory about a pizza parlor. Right, yeah, right, right. Know. Like, Hillary is in charge of some pedophiles under a pe- but like no when there's this guy who's like really good friends yeah. with a known pedophile oh shut up that allegedly yeah. and I'm not even surprised like Bill Clinton's friends with the- I'm not fucking surprised oh they yeah he could sure. be a pedophile too I, you yeah, could literally tell possibly. me the only I mean like if someone tells me Obama is a pedophile I would actually be surprised but ultimately I would accept it because there's not much I wouldn't accept that a man in power would do interesting thing to end with since we're talking about a lot of issues in this vein um, we are in this culture where a lot of uh, powerful men are not really being punished to the extent they should be but are reckoning with uh, misdeeds along all those yeah. lines and we're looking at like you know the, the, the muting of R. Our, our Kelly which it's funny because I was talking to someone today like I never had a problem with because I don't fucking like his music so I have no problem not listening to his music because he's fucking horrible uh, and like Woody Allen like I don't give a shit he's got like two movies I like out of a hundred fuck him you know I don't give a shit uh, and Louis C.K. who you know I prior to that story was like so fond of and like yeah. like he was the guy I would listen to before a semester yes. to like get my comedic timing down yeah yeah because he had some polished amazing stand up yeah but I'm he's not really listen- smart and he is and I can't really like reconcile listening to him anymore no. in a weird way but it's like here's an interesting one because you sort of mentioned like if Obama was revealed yeah. to be this you would sort of understand it is um how we sort of like have that art versus artist thing like art not the artist do we separate that thing okay so you're shaking your head no because that's what's curious about it is this is a contemporary discussion that I'm so fascinated with because I I don't uh, know how to feel about a lot of this well okay one thing that's tricky I'll get to my head shaking in a minute but Michael Jackson is a tricky one because is he? well I love Michael Jackson's music but I very much believe that he was in an inappropriate relationships with little boys there's a little boy who at the time that he made the allegations against Michael Jackson could draw the pattern of the what is that skin condition vitiligo is that yeah. how you say it? he could draw the white spots on Michael Jackson Dick. Yeah. So I mean, like, there you go. Like that kid saw Michael Jackson's dick. That's sure. not okay. Um, I love Michael Jackson's music, and if that song that's like "Mama Say I'm Mama," you know that one. My God, I want to dance. So Michael Jackson is the hardest one for me. That's as far as I've gotten with it. Like, I love his music, and I very much believe that he abused some boys, so I don't even know what to do. It's interesting, because, like, I I was in a... uh like a Starbucks or something they were playing probably that song something yeah. from Thriller 
And uh, at the same time I was hearing that, I was reading some article on the internet about how there's a canceled John Wayne. Uh, oh, yeah. Wayne. Fuck him. He well, was like, a white supremacist no, he, dickwad. Fuck him. He was an asshole in so many ways. Yeah. But I sort of was like, okay, so we're muting R. Kelly. We're canceling John Wayne. But Michael Jackson, fuck it. We like his music. We're going to let I know. It's not fly. fair. No, it's not. No, it's not fair it's and it's not, not right. And so that's just where, I mean, like... I don't know what to do about it. I don't either, but I'm fascinated by the conversation. But here's what I feel about most things. Like, you know, I I did love Louis C.K. comedy. I did enjoy the first... He's responsible for three of the best hours of stand-up comedy I've ever heard. I'm sure that's true. I I love his... um, He made an appearance on Saturday Night Live that his uh, stand-up was just so good. But here's my thinking on guys like Louis C.K., Aziz Ansari, anybody, even like, uh, yeah, just guys who, you know, maybe they didn't rape anybody, but they were shitty. Yeah. They were abusing their power. They were not respecting or treating women as, you know, equals, whatever, whatever. There is someone else who is a man who does not abuse women, who is a woman, who is a non-binary person, there are brilliant... I guarantee there are people as smart as Louis C.K. Have you seen Hannah Gadsby? Oh, God, yeah. She's as fucking smart. Exactly. yeah, that's amazing. It changed everything when I saw her. She's incredible. So I believe that for any man that we're like, oh, my God, they make amazing art. We can't afford to lose them. My argument is... Actually, we can. No, we can totally. If we move them aside, I guarantee there will be better humans who are just as talented. Which is sort of why I'm struggling with Michael Jackson. Well, I know. He's the one. I'm like, who's as good as Michael? I could name him. I feel like I could, if I searched hard enough. I've always, I mean, I grew up with Michael Jackson, but come on, I can go the rest of my life hearing other people. But I also know that everybody that, but I also know that everybody I love who's been dead for a hundred years was horrible. So I also feel like there, I feel like there's the degrees that I have to, as an individual consumer of art, uh, reconcile with. So like Louis C.K. is a good example because like, and as, as, and uh, as he's on, sorry, because like Louis C.K., jerked off in front of women without consent and it's fucking disgusting I feel like Aziz was a shitty at picking up signals and that's not justifying him at all but like I saw Aziz's last stand-up comedy bit which came out last week on Netflix and it's pretty good and he he makes a weird attempt at trying to reconcile it's not great but it's better than what Louis C.K.'s done in the last couple of years well, that's who has true not too. fucking apologized or that's anything. true so You're like right. Aziz in his own sort of way is like I this happened to me. I fucked up, and I and I'm still fucking up. I, 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 I fucked up. Like I, at least he mentioned it. No, I don't know. I don't know. No, at least he mentioned it. I feel like he's no, mentioning right. it where Louis is doing everything he can to you're like right. make society. I totally agree. It. And like I think Pete Holmes sort of summed it up best, where he was like, Louis C.K. was so good at so many things about addressing the cult. Like we want him to sort of come out and say something in his act about this that's not a defensive bunch of bullshit. And it's like. Yeah, if he did that, I might be able to give him, like, not a pass, but, like, all right, we can reconcile this a little bit. Like, I feel like Aziz is on the path, perhaps, more than 
Yeah, I agree and with I you. And I feel like, oh, God, I hate all and this I shit. Think, but... Well, I want to mention what you say about picking up signals. This isn't a matter of like, oh, he wasn't super skilled at reading her body language. Yeah, she actually, legitimately oh, said, right. don't force me. Stop. I don't want to yeah. feel forced. If you force me, I'll hate you. I don't want to hate you. Yeah. And she literally said, I don't want to have sex with you. Can we not have sex? And yet he pulled out his dick and actually thumped it into you're right, her. You're right, that you're right. This is not just a man who like doesn't have good face reading skills. It's like he's ignoring. She's literally doing everything but saying, no, stop, you you're fucking right. pig. Right. Okay. But I also agree with you that Aziz at least is addressing it, whereas Louis C.K. has literally really? has said, that is not real to me. Yeah. That didn't. It's so science. Yeah, it's really fucked up. So and it angers me because I think he's smart enough to do something with that. He's way smarter than Aziz Ansari yes. is the thing. He's smarter, he's more talented, he's brought more to culture. Aziz is funny, and Aziz can like play this character that we can enjoy and chuckle at but Louis C.K. was what people would call an auteur and he yes. was like doing a big deal thing so it's a big bummer but he's like his talent was greater and his like missteps and then how poorly he's handling it is also greater yeah. just all around Aziz is just fucking middling right and left Uh, do we have any last like comments or thoughts we want to make? I don't think. I don't usually have like a last let's plug something, but like, do you have anything coming up? I know you got the web series. Well, listen, I'll just say the name of my web series. It's called Choose Me, an Abortion Story, and we are in the final stages of post-production. So I'm talking like I have two more little graphic animations that need to happen. And I, you know, have like two, I have a few more little songs that my friend Andrew needs to like tidy up. So things always take longer than I want them to, but it's going to happen. I, I think that either definitely sometime in the fall, I think it will be watchable. Um, and I will be, I want to have a lot of little viewing events in Chicago. Like I want to have a big premiere where I show the full season, um, you know, at some point, but prior to that, I would love to have a few smaller events where I just show the first like three episodes, three out of six. And you know, each episode is anywhere from like six to 10 minutes. Um, so it's pretty, it's short, but you know, I would love to have little events like all around town where it's just like, come watch this. Um, just for different, I just hiccuped, uh, different communities. You know, like, for instance, my the yoga studio that I belong to, they let us shoot a couple scenes there. And so they were like, well, why don't we have a viewing event where, you know... And so that studio can maybe just comfortably fit, like, 20 chairs or something. Or maybe we'll all be sitting on cushions in the floor, but it still will probably be about 20 or 30 people. But I like the idea. (laughs) They have mats. They have mats and cushions. Um, and a big wall that you can project on but you know so that would like serve that community all these yoga people they'll know about my show but then there's also like well what about the sort of punk DIY crowd what about like the um, you know just 
random visual artists that I know from my time as being a, a figure model? Uh, what about like just different queer communities that I, uh, you know, might be sort of wanting to contribute to, but I'm not that active because I don't go out and party that often or whatever, whatever. But I love the idea of having a bunch of little events. But whatever happens, I mean, there will come a time where it will just be free and available to all people on the internet. So that that is a thing that uh, is going to be a big deal for me when it comes out. Was, you cannot imagine how much work it was. I, I can't even... I can, but... I think Jeff might. Maybe. <laughs> maybe you can. Uh, yeah, but so anyway, that's that's the thing to look out for. Nice. R.E. colon me. Hannah Gamble. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yay. Uh, thanks for coming out. Oh my god, this is so fun. Yeah, truly, fun. truly. Yeah, it's fun I, to talk. It is, indeed. So, do you have any readings coming up? Anything I should be aware of? I don't think I do. I read at the Poetry Foundation like last yeah, Thursday told, yeah, right. and I loved that reading. Um, I cried. Really? First time ever. Wow. I've never, okay, I have to say this. I've never believed in astrology more than this month because everyone was like, it's cancer season. You're going to be crying a lot. There's lots of emotions. And I have fucking cried a lot. And there have been a lot of emotions. And that's not just standard for me. I mean, I'm in touch with my emotions. But unless I'm, like, in a relationship with someone who's being kind of shitty to me or my dog dies or something, I'm not... You know, I feel emotions, but I'm not just crying regularly. I've cried so much this month. And at the Poetry Foundation, I read a kind of, like, maybe what you would call a lyric essay or kind of an essay poet hybrid um, that's just about like growing up with a lot of roaches in my house and never having new clothes and um, you know going to a state school and um, having a car with cigarette burns in it and uh, you know just kind of like not having money and then also kind of like being um, I guess just kind of emotionally abused and slut shamed to some extent by my mom for my whole life but it basically you know where it ends up at is just like a declaration of like you know it's you're worthy of being loved and that that kind of stuff always makes me really emotional because just to say out loud in front of like uh, you know 200 or however many people were at the Poetry Foundation to just declare the reasons why you deserve to be loved my voice definitely started cracking and then I was just like absolutely crying but you know not to the point where I couldn't finish my last stanza or whatever but it was you know something I'd definitely never done before and then when I got off stage one of my fellow readers the poet Allison Rollins she has this full rectangular box of tissues full-size box that it, she's just holding and I thought like was this under our chairs because we had seats that were reserved just for us like these are the readers for the evening so I'm like are these under all of our chairs but she literally just had it in her tote bag because she's amazing but that made me laugh so I you know I was cheered up pretty quickly but um Anyway, no, I so to answer your question, you know, I do well, not know when I'm reading next, okay. but I love reading. Yeah, I always but I mean, am even like, having open like to the next episode. Having like web series premiere events oh, sure. I think is great. So please keep me posted oh, on that. Oh yeah, for sure. You're now Facebook friends, like for sure. share that shit. Yeah, definitely. I for sure will. Awesome. I will. 
All right. Well, All thank right, you so good. much. Thank you, Jeff. Right, thank, thank you, Jeff, you. as always, for getting yeah. beers. Guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Thumbs up.